Good afternoon, good morning, whatever you are in the world. We are here another Friday with another episode and another guest. Before we start, I just want to remind you that today will be dedicated to business entities, which if you are following us last week, we had an episode with an attorney, a local attorney on immigration. Why are we doing these episodes outside of culture and intercultural realm is because we work with a lot of foreign nationals and they do ask us for these types of information. Last week, we had ways to uh, immigrate to the United States and achieve your American dream. Today, we are going to walk you through the most important part of the American dream is owning a business. A lot of foreigners, not foreign nationals, or even locals here, when they come here, they want to start business and they don't know sometimes where to start. And um, if you don't know the right channels, there will be a lot of mistakes down the road. Today, we have a special guest with us, an attorney, well, well-skilled attorney in town that will walk us through the process. And his name is Tushar Desai. <laughs> Good afternoon, Tushar. Hi, Mona. How are you? Doing just Fine. Thank you so much for accepting our invitation and giving us from your time. I know we're you're very busy. So let's welcome Tushar Desai. Hi, Mona. Thanks for having me today. I really appreciate your time as well, too. Let's start right away on these business entities. We, we, we do know that uh, entity structure will impact the business, right? It will yeah. impact the way their tax, the way they operate some local some state also laws do impact and affects the structure and we want to know all about it from you today so go ahead and uh, start telling us why are these structure why are the available structures for people who are looking to start business we'll start with that portion and after that the best way to buy an existing business as well Yes, absolutely. So uh, the main common uh, businesses, which are LLCs, which are called limited liability companies, are very common. And then there's also something called a C corporation, uh, which is going to be almost the same amount of protection as well, too, because it's going to protect you from personal liability as well. Um, but there's also differences in taxation as well, too. Um, most commonly, foreign investors or foreign nationals will have um, the most common experience with an LLC. Um, that is going to be if they're going to be purchasing real estate or if they're going to be doing some other type of investment in the U.S. as well, too. The LLC is the most popular, but the other consideration to do and think about as well, too, is in their local establishment to see what are going to be the taxation laws or the taxation requirements for having such an entity and also the reporting requirements as well too. Um, so that's a major consideration to think about in comparison to an LLC or a C corporation as well. Locally, if there's if they're also here, um, there's multiple other different types of um, entities that can be formed as well too, but these are the most common and the most popular as well too. Um, it can be one step further in advance as well too. Let's say for example, if there's a local principal office over here in the state of Florida or in, in America as well, too. You can even convert the LLC to an S corporation, and you can also even convert a C corporation to an S corporation as well, too. 
But before they do that, I would highly suggest that they consult with a local tax person, such as a CPA or an accountant. And then also if they're a foreign investor in their local jurisdiction as well, too, just to make sure that they're on board with the same taxation requirements and they're not overpaying in their local taxes as well, too. Mm -hmm. Okay, so you had mentioned in a LLC, Limited Liability Corporation, we have C Corp, and then you mentioned S Corp. As far as LLC, which is, I, I see a lot of people when they start in business, they go and form an LLC. Um, is it prudent to have just one member LLC, or does it require multiple me members? Yes. Okay. So very good question as well, too. So when it comes down to reporting the members, when the LLC is formed, um, if you just have one member, it's going to be taxed as a different sort of entity. But when you have multiple members, you will be taxed as an LLC. Um, the, the good thing about an LLC is you don't have to report who all the members are. So there's also a privacy uh pro about this as, as having an LLC because your members don't have to be publicly reported. So there is some privacy concerns, or if there are privacy concerns, you can appoint one person to be the head or the public figure in terms of the taxation purposes or reporting to the IRS. And then the rest of everyone can be shielded because your private documents, such as the um, membership agreement, and it's called an operating agreement, can list who all the members are. And that's a private document between the corporation. So at that point, it's not a public guidance or a public document that everyone can know about as well too. Um, in addition, you can have multiple members in an LLC as well too. So let's say, for example, in the beginning, when you start the corporation or the LLC, you have a set number of individuals that are members. And later on, if there's additional investors that come in, additional members can be part of the operating agreement, and they can also become additional members of the corporation as well too. Whereas when you're starting with the C corporation, you are not going to have that same, let's say, privacy restriction um, in terms of shielding as to who the members or shareholders are of the corporation. You okay. do have to disclose who are going to be the directors. Go ahead, Mona. Yeah, no, no, I'm listening and writing notes down. Go ahead. Absolutely. So at that point, the next thing that you'd have to do, or in terms of a C corporation, is that you do have to list the members. There are going to be limitations as to the amount of shareholders or uh, directors that you may have as well, too. Um, you can have owners as well, too. The good thing is that a C corporation can be structured a little bit more differently in terms of investors, owners, and also other people that may be participating in the corporation, but not directly having an investment stake in the corporation as well, too. So that's also another benefit of a C corporation um, that you will have to get a little bit more understanding as to how the corporation needs to be run. And it can be a little bit more commercialized, let's put it that way as well, too. So then that way, if you're having a large investor come in, that's going to have a large directional group, you may want to have a C corporation, because there's going to be a little bit more standard and rigid structures in terms of how the company is going to be run. Instead of having the members or shareholders run the company, you can actually have a vice president, you can have a secretary, you can have a president, you can have directors that not necessarily have an ownership stake in the company, but have a chance to run the company in itself as well, too. So there comes uh, a little bit more 
directional as to, you know, are you just going to be buying real estate or are you actually going to be buying a company that's going to be self-sustained as well too? So that may be a consideration depending upon what type of investment the company or investors are going to be having if they're located foreign or internationally as well too. Okay. A lot of information. Thank you for mentioning that. So we understand the difference between LLC and C corporation. Now, as far as S corp, can you just touch on the S corp if possible? Yes. Okay. So uh, you can actually have an LLC and then you can actually convert that to an S corp. You can also have a C corporation and you can convert that to an S corporation as well too. Um, so there's no corporation just called an S corporation. It first has to start off as an LLC and, or a C corporation, or there's multiple other types of entities, such as something called an LLP or an LLLP. Um, but in this sort of conversation, we're only going to stick to an LLC or a C corporation because that might be the most viable and best structures for foreign investors or foreign companies. So in order to first get started, you have to have one or the other then you actually convert that entity to an S corporation. Um, the thing about an S corporation is that you're gonna be having shareholders. You are not gonna be having owners in a, uh, an S corporation, but it all depends how the entity is initially started up. But once you convert to an S corporation, you're also gonna be able to save on double taxation as well too. And at that point, you can also issue stock to other shareholders of the corporation as well too. So instead of them being an investor in the corporation initially, they can actually start being shareholders and they might be able to earn profits or depending upon what the agreement is between the different types of stocks that are going to be issued and if the company is going to go public as well too. It just depends what are going to be the internal structures and how the corporation is going to be set up if there are going to be additional shareholders owners, or people that might just have an interest in the corporation in itself as well, too. Now, as far as um, what I see um, most of the time, yes, we do start with an LLC. Let's say I am, I have an LLC, I am a single member, and down the road, I have two, one person or two people joining me. Should I keep it as an LLC and um, transfer it or change it to whatever you mentioned according to taxation, or it'll be better to form a partnership? I would say in this instance, because yes, um, the short answer to that question is you can always convert. And I don't want to say always because there might be limited circumstances as well too, but you can always convert an LLC to a C corporation and vice versa. You can convert a C corporation to an LLC as well too but you have to check on the tax implications as well too to see if it's gonna be beneficial. So let's say for example, you started off as an LLC and maybe the business structure or the business percentage in terms of ownership or the way that it's gonna be run is gonna be changed. Then you might wanna consider changing an LLC to a, a C corporation. It's a simple tax document that you go ahead and file with the IRS to convert. Um, it's not going to be hard. It's not difficult. It just depends how you're going to be running the corporation or the company in itself. So yes, you can actually change an LLC to a C corporation and you can change a C corporation to an LLC as well too. Um, and then the only thing that also is going to change is the legal documents. An LLC has an operating agreement, which is a document that states how are the members going to run and manage the company. 
whereas a C corporation might have a partnership agreement very similar to an operating agreement, but it's going to state how are the directors or owners or how is the company going to be run, what's going to happen in the event if there's a disagreement between the partners, and how would the company be winding up, let's say, to wrap up all the affairs of the company in the event if the partners don't come to an agreement and the company needs to dissolve and, and wind itself up as well, too. Does this, whatever you just mentioned um, to us, does it apply to nonprofit organizations as well? Yes. Okay. So very good question. Um, a nonprofit is very strict in its requirements and very different in terms of how it's going to be taxed as well, too. Um, mostly, if you're going to be a nonprofit, you have to get some sort of criteria met before it can be registered or accepted and approved as a nonprofit corporation as well, too. Um, initially, you're going to there's going to be some sort of a document that you're going to be registering, which is going to be called the Articles of Corporation or Incorporation that states the purpose of a nonprofit. Um, in terms of a nonprofit, I don't think that would be the best sort of shielding advice or shielding unit or type of entity for a foreign investor. However, if a foreign investor is going to, let's say, for example, invest, then I would say, yes, that's one way. But to actually have ownership is going to be completely different for a nonprofit. And they might want to check with the actual IRS requirements first before getting involved as a foreign investor or a foreign national with a uh, nonprofit organization because there are very strict criteria with the IRS in terms of who can actually be an owner, who can be an investor, and what sort of tax benefits the nonprofit is going to be uh, enabling it to itself and its members as well too. Um, okay. so I, I would say the nonprofit may not be the best vehicle or best sort of entity for a foreign investor. However, if somebody is local and if they meet the criteria of the requirements for a nonprofit, that might be a very beneficial structure to start off with as well too, um, because it's a, a nonprofit is going to be listed for a specific purpose. And you have to list that purpose out from initially starting the corporation in itself as well too. Once you start those articles or once you start with that requirement, it's going to be very difficult to convert and change that structure as well too with the nonprofit. So that's why I say once you're in a nonprofit, you're stuck with that criteria and you're stuck with the IRS requirements because it's going to be very difficult to convert it later on. Not to say that it's not going to be possible, but mm -hmm. a foreign person or a foreign investor, it might be very difficult to get out of it as well too if that's going to be their main form of business. Well, as we are discussing this, yes, there are a lot of foreign nationals who are asking for these questions, but also there are locals who are asking for these questions as well. So we'll we'll have it broad in, in terms of what can be done, what do you see best fit, the pros and cons, and so on and so forth. So if if somebody is new to the business arena, what and I'm not gonna put you on the spot and say what would be the advice that you can give them uh, on which one to pick because you've, you've told us all these uh, entities and what are the names and what they stand for and so on and so forth. One question I have, what do you see or what mistakes do you see people make 
when they're starting a business? Yeah, I can definitely tell you that the most common mistake that everyone does is rushing, right? Everyone's so excited. Everyone thinks that um, once you start a business, it's very easy to unwind. And I can definitely say that this, um, and this is the main mistake that I see a lot of people go into, is going into business with friends. A friendship is very different from a business relationship as well, too. So I would definitely say this. It's okay to go slow. And that's the number one thing that I would say is talk it out. See what the goals are. Because being in a business is completely different than seeing how it's run on TV or seeing how somebody runs it on a third-party person point of view. So at that point, everyone can start a business, even very minor people in terms of age can start a business. There's no age requirement in terms of when a person can start a business. So it's not just limited to somebody that's a certain age or a certain education level as well too. A business can be started very easily and it's not that hard to do that. But the main thing is to have a strategy. If mm -hmm. you don't have a strategy from the get-go, that might be something, and I definitely advise everyone to do about this, is talk about it. What are the goals? If you're going into business with a partner, a business into a friend, what are your individual expectations from yourself? And what are your individual expectations from that other person or investor as well, too? A lot of people go in without discussing these things. These are afterthoughts. However, what I recommend is to state and go over these things from day one so there's no disagreements or there's no issues later on. Um, and so at that point, the other thing is to think about, okay, what is the goals of myself? What are going to be the goals of that other person? And what are going to be the goals of the company or the entity in itself? Once you've actually had a chance to discuss all this, then we could see, okay, how should we go ahead and start creating the entity? Is it going to be an LLC? Is it going to be an S corporation? Is it going to be a nonprofit organization as well too? Or is it going to be some other sort of structure? There's multiple other structures than what we've spoken about today that mm -hmm. are, it's better to do some research and to actually have a goal in mind. Once that is done, then I would say, okay, let's go ahead and start creating that structure. And then also having some sort of documentation as to the expectations of everyone in that corporation or entity and what are going to be the goals of the company in itself as well too. That way it's gonna be secured and everyone's going to know what everyone's jobs, responsibilities and financial burden is gonna be as well too. Not everyone, if you get into an LLC or a partnership is going to be able to invest financially 50-50, mm -hmm. 60-40. There might be something else that somebody could be bringing to the table, which could be experience, relationships, it might be something that it could be sweat equity that that person or persons could be using to do physical labor into the company as well, too. So there's much different things out there than just finances or cash that people are bringing to the table to an entity. So I think that should be clear cut from day one. What is everyone bringing to the table and how is this going to help the company further itself and become something that is going to reach and achieve your goals? Excellent, excellent response. And sometimes, you know, Tishar, sometimes we, uh, like you said, we get too excited. We go into the business. Uh, yes, everything will be great and dandy. And then you, you think, you think that you're choosing the right partners and uh, things change. 
things change and we feel like we are stuck. Now, what do we do? Um, the best thing that I tell people is consult with an attorney right at the get-go. So often we see people going online and just starting their LLC. And here it is, okay, done in a few minutes, a few days, you are running a business. And then things happen. What do we do? Now you're not feeling good. Uh, and it, because of the relationship you have with the person that you chose to be your partner, you, you don't even have the guts to, to speak about it or communicate your concern. And now problems, problems start to, uh, to appear and, and sometimes they become bigger and bigger and bigger to the point where we can uh, no longer bear them. And here, business gone sideways. We don't know what to do. Absolutely. So one thing I will um, ask you again, just to emphasize on this point, we are starting a business, we're going into partnership, let's say just two people, things, and, and we, we wrote everything down. One is bringing the money, let's say three people, one is bringing the money, another one, um, knowledge, another person is bringing something else. How do we balance those how do we work them out as far as um the structure of the business is that something that people will talk about and just say okay i'm bringing let's say a hundred thousand dollar into this venture you are going to be working uh the back office of it do they can they have equal uh share or it doesn't work that way in real life I can say it definitely works like that in real life because that's the whole purpose of a business as well, too. Just because somebody is bringing finances to the table and somebody might be bringing sweat equity or relationships to the table, it depends how are the individual parties going to state about profits, right? There's a difference between having profits from the corporation and also being an employee of the corporation as well, too. So one thing could be that, okay, if everyone has brought, let's say 100,000 to the table and somebody's bringing sweat equity, which is going to be running the business, and another person is gonna be bringing relationships to go ahead and, and introduce everyone to this form of business, great. As long as the parties agree that profits are gonna be split one third, one third, one third, that's not gonna be a problem. Also, let's say, for example, if that one person is bringing 100,000 to the table and the other two people are not, then if they're going to be getting some other sort of value or incentive from the company, that's completely fine. I don't think that there's a standard yes or no answer to that. It really depends upon the individuals and what everyone agrees to as well too. As long as there's an agreement from the get-go, that's the biggest important part of the scenario. Because let's say, for example, if you rush in, create the company, and then there's expectations which are not verbally stated to everyone else, then the result will be some sort of a mess, right? Because then there's going to be an issue. So if you at least state it from the beginning that this is what everyone is going to bring to the table, whatever that capacity may be, then at that point, the results will always be okay because the expectations are set at that level as well too. Mm -hmm. So at that point, whatever the result may be in terms of profits or how that division is going to take place is fine. There's no set rule whatsoever if you're going to start an LLC or a C corporation that it has to be a certain guideline or criteria. It can be whatever you want. It can be anything that the parties agree to as long as there's an agreement.
Okay, and as far as the exit strategy, do you recommend that the exit strategy is agreed upon right at the beginning and in writing and is part of the agreement? Yes, I, I definitely state that because um, the issue is, is that debts, are we gonna be paying the debts of the corporation first? Are we gonna be paying the debts of the company? Or are we going to divert all the funds to the owners or members first? And if there's any remaining funds, are the debts of the company going to be paid last? I think that's a major criteria of what everyone needs to think about. It's one of those kind of things that nobody likes to talk about it in the formation of the company because nobody wants to think negatively or in a different aspect as to it's not going to be successful. But yeah. if you discuss this from the get-go, there's going to be a lot of issues that will be saved from dealing with it later or not even considering those factors as well too. Because once you're gonna be starting a business, remember the business is going to be separate from that person or owners. It's gonna be its own entity that is gonna be separate from those individuals because the IRS is gonna consider that entity as a taxable unit. And let's say for example, if there's consumers of that company as well too, we'll have expectations of the company that are gonna be separate from who are actually the owners of the company as well too. So it just depends what the expectations and roles are of the individuals and what the expectation and goals are of anyone else that might be a consumer of that business as well. Okay, excellent. So, so far we, sp we spoke about uh, the type of entities. Also, we spoke about our attorney, Tushar, explained uh, to us how you form them and also what you need to be doing. A quick question before I, I jump to an existing business and what do people need to look out for? Can a foreign person from a different country, can they open a, a business here and run it from outside the country? The short answer is yes, um, that happens all the time. Uh, there's also specific name brands. Let's use the biggest name brands out there. Um, your most favorite brand, um, whatever that may be, runs here, runs in China, runs in the UK, runs in Australia. It's the same brand, but it's also a harmonization in terms of how it's filed internationally as well too. Let's say somebody files a corporation internationally, that same name could be available over here in America. And as long as they go ahead and set up that corporation with the same branding, then it can be used internationally and it can be used over here in America as well too. So in terms of can it be, yes, it, no doubt whatsoever. Um, the other thing is, is that what is going to be the goal of that corporation over here in America? Is it going to be running a business or is it going to be the company headquarters as well too? So that's other considerations to think about. One of the other considerations to think about is that what's going to be the purpose of that business over here as well too? Okay. Um, let's talk about existing businesses. I do um, receive people here in the United States and uh, they do choose to buy businesses for the sole purpose of gaining residency or citizenship. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't work. And if it doesn't work, they end up losing a lot of money. This question will be applied to people who are coming in from other countries to buy businesses and also to local people who are seeking to buy businesses. What should we look out for when we are searching for existing business to buy? Okay, very good question. And I'm gonna limit it just to this 
scenario in itself as well too. The major consideration which everyone always thinks that they will be the greatest business is real estate. In this scenario, if a foreign person is looking to gain some sort of residency status or a green card, you cannot, and I don't want to state this all the time, but in very, or the most specific scenarios, you cannot just buy real estate and then state that that's going to be the existing business that you're going to run. Um, a caveat could be, let's say, for example, you're going to buy a hotel. That's okay. an existing business that's real estate that could possibly fit that scenario. But let's say, for example, in, in another specific instance is, are you going to buy a house? And if you're going to buy some sort of real estate property, and you're just going to own that sort of business or property and hoping to get some sort of residency or green card status, that is not going to apply. It has to be some sort of an entity that employs local people in the community. And then at that point, how much are you actually going to be investing into the U.S. economy as well, too? Those are the types of businesses that is going to be able to provide some sort of a green card or some kind of residency status as well, too, if that's an existing business. As long as the criteria is employing local people in the community and you're going to be bringing a certain amount of investment finances to the table, yes, that will be enabling or that will help to gain some sort of residency status or green card status as well, too. But it's not a ticket that as long as you make the payment, you are going to be buying it in. Um, that's another important uh, consideration as well, too. You always have to come with a business plan uh -huh. and you come with a strategy as well, too. So as long as you're considering that you're going to be employing local people, that's going to fit the criteria. However, if you're going to buy an existing business and bring all your people from that foreign uh, entity or a foreign location, bring them over here, that may not qualify. I'm not saying that's going to be the circumstance all the time, but that's going to happen a majority of the time. Mm, okay, a good answer. And that actually um, uh, congruent with what attorney, our last episode with um, attorney Abdin said, specifically about the real estate and what we see happening. Um, now, let's touch on the other side of the question, which is what should we look out for when we're buying existing businesses? And this is just a broad question, and it applies to um, everybody. I am ready to buy a business. I sell a restaurant, salon, whatever it is, or a property management company, doesn't matter what the business is and I want to buy it. What do I need to look out for? Okay. Yeah. Something that is too good to be true. If, and what do I mean by that? Are the profits too good to be true? Is the brand too good to be true? Is the outcome that you are promised too good to be true? Majority of the time, the answer is yes. Um, and I would definitely say once again, take your time. Don't rush. There's something called due diligence, which means to inspect the books, to do your research on the company or to do your research on whatever entity you're going to be getting into. Take that time, go over the finances, go over the accounting, and also follow back up with that as well too. Just because you were given documents doesn't mean take it for face value. You should always go ahead and ask for additional documentation as well too. What are going to be the taxes that you're gonna be considering for that type of entity or business as well, um, because that's another factor people don't really think about as well too. If you're having employees, are you taking on the existing employees of that company? 
what's going to be the cash value that you need to also have in reserves after the deal is completed as well too. A lot of people don't think two steps in advance. They always think for the first step is let's just get into it and see how to run it. But at that end, once you do that investment and once you purchase the business, you're always going to have some additional capital that you're going to need to use because things are always popping up or there's other issues that make it happen as well too. So the other consideration is don't move too quickly. Don't go ahead and take everything for face value. Don't think that you're going to be buying a lottery ticket to get quick cash. Most of the time, a business does not work like that as well too. So if it's too good to be true, or if it's some sort of a miracle way to make money or to just double your finances right away, you might want to take a step back. Okay. And you mentioned um, ask for financing accounting. Just give me as an example. What am I going to ask for? I know, I know tax returns and I know uh, the books and all of that. From your standpoint as an attorney and you have a client that you're advising when he's to count your help as far as buying a business, what is it that you're asking him to look for when they're asking for um, finances, the accounting, how many years tax returns? And we know here, and it happens in Florida a lot, we have clients who are looking to buy businesses. They think they found the right business. They approach the business owner. The business owner is not showing anything. Uh, we get so many reasons why. And still, they move ahead and buy that business because they see the potential. Sometimes it works. Sometimes it does not work. But just like you said, we do our due diligence. Just give me an example. How many years of tax returns we should um, ask for? And what is when do we get alarmed? Let's say, for example, we have those uh, years of many tax returns. And here we're looking at it and then something is not adding up. Although the person is telling us this is a great opportunity, uh, what are we looking for in those numbers and how many years of tax returns should we ask for? Yes, okay. Um, so the short answer is if you're gonna be asking for tax returns, I would say a minimum of the last three years worth of tax returns, that would be great. Also, the most common um, scenario that I come under is convenience stores. It's a very highly known cash business. And then uh, a lot of people there are going to be thinking that there's also going to be credit cards that are run as well too. The other thing is what type of a business are you going to be investing into or getting into? If it's a business that accepts a lot of cash, I can understand how the accountant might be aggressive in getting the taxes to the lowest possible scenario. If you're going to be buying a business that doesn't use cash, that's also another consideration to think about as well too, because it's very easy not to misrepresent the taxes at that point. So it's also what sort of business are you getting into that you know is going to be the outcome or income revenue of the company as well too. So another red flag is let's say for example, if you're promised one thing in terms of what the business makes in revenue, but then if those tax returns or income statements, profit or loss statements, bank statements, other creditors or vendors invoices, when you check about your due diligence, show a different story. There's something that somebody can promise you verbally, 
but then when the documents are shown, they show a different story that leads to a credibility issue. And mm -hmm. that's why you always want to double check. Okay, there might be an answer for that as well too, but what is that answer? So it's also to investigate, not just to see what the discrepancy may be, but what is the reason for that discrepancy as well too. Let's say for example, a restaurant as well. A restaurant could have a mix of cash and other credit card sort of payments as well too. So that's something to also consider that what are going to be the repercussions in that sort of industry as well too. Also, if you don't know what sort of business you're getting into, which I see a lot of, is a person or investor will be knowing this sort of industry. And then when they're getting into a different sort of business, will be a 180 and do something completely different or away from what their normal course of business is. If you are not familiar with that type of business, I highly suggest to either get an accountant or somebody that knows how to read the books or and or somebody else that may be viable, such as a attorney that is able to also decipher what all the documentation says as well too. Because some people or owners of the company might just be investors, some people might be employees, or some people might not even have any financial stake in the business, but are owed some sort of incentive in the business as well too. So it's also important to check on the liabilities and debts of the corporation as well. Um, in addition, I would say the major important thing to see is something in writing. As long as you have some sort of written agenda, then I would say it's great to move into some sort of a business that you can procure or get into an existing business. A red flag that we all attorneys call in the industry is an issue. Let's say, for example, if there's no documentation in the business, that's something that would be a potential issue because let's say if there's liabilities of the business owners and if there's any potential other owners or partners in the business and you're only dealing with one person and you don't know the other people that might have an ownership stake or financial stake in the business, then there might be potential creditors or lawsuits that could be pending if that person sells you the business without letting you know that there's other partners. So a lack of documentation is also an issue or something to look out for as well too. So I, I guess this is um, some sort of a general factor, but always think you're getting into something that you are going to invest in. So take a little bit more time, take a little bit more effort and energy to see what actually is about the corporation. What do they stand for? What sort of documentation do they have to back up the reason for the sales price of that business that they're going to purchase as well too excellent excellent thank you is there um any type of insurance for buyers there may be yes um so i i'm not very certain as to purchasing insurance or insurance for buyers but i could definitely say that there's company insurance and that's something to also look out for as how many claims have been filed with that insurance depending upon the industry or the business you're getting into uh, because let's say, for example, if that insurance has multiple claims, there might be an issue of purchasing the business and having a reason to file another claim. You might not be able to purchase insurance again, or insurance might be very expensive at that point. Um, so in terms of the purchasing insurance, it just depends also what sort of companies you're looking to purchase or what type of a business you're going to be purchasing as well, too.
Okay. Okay. One thing that I, I'd like to share with you right now, as you are speaking, something came to mind, a particular client who asked us to sell the business. It was a pizzeria business, asked to sell it. And when we asked how much you bought it for, he bought it for an amount that was not registered. Apparently, whoever he sold it, whoever sold it to him, um, took an amount, but registered in the book a different amount. Because of uh, lack of education in terms of businesses and what it entails and so on and so forth, that buyer went ahead and agreed to that proposal, meaning, let's say, for example, he bought a, a pizzeria for $75,000. That's how much he paid the person. But in the books, it shows like he bought it for $20,000. Um, this is something that obviously you tell people do not do, right? Yes, absolutely. Um, because that's A, that's tax fraud. Um, and B, there also could be serious repercussions on your end of purchasing the business as well, too. So, yes, that's something that to highly avoid. Um, and if that sort of conversation is going to take place, I would say double think as to the real reason. Why is this happening and why is this being suggested to do that as well, too? Um, if there's a reasoning for it or if the tax advisors say there's this reason, okay, sure, great. But if it's for purely financial stake to create tax fraud, avoid that in all circumstances. So no, no, uh, we are almost coming to uh, the end of our show, but we wanted to touch base on protecting assets. Let's move on to protecting assets. Uh, we do see a lot of um, foreign nationals or even locals using certain uh, entities to protect their assets. And we also want to have our business separate than our personal lives. Uh, in case anything happens, we do not want our personal assets to be touched or um, co-mingled with or bothered with. What do we do? How? What's the best way to protect our assets? Okay, yes, perfect. Um, it's a very good question as well, too. I would say 99.9% .9 of the time, always create a business such as a C-corporation, LLC, to purchase that asset or business and never to take it under your personal name. And when I say never, just in this particular instance, there might be some beneficial reasons or tax reasons why you'd want to purchase a business or real estate or some sort of corporation um, if you're buying an existing business in your personal name. But 99.9% .9 of the time, it is the best result to use some sort of a corporation or business entity. To me, it doesn't matter whether it's going to be an LLC, C corporation, you buy a C or LLC corporation and convert it to an S corporation. That is just logistics and in tax purpose savings logistics as well too. But as long as you use some sort of an entity that is 99.9% .9 going to shield you from personal liability. There might be some instances where it would be beneficial to buy it under your personal name, but I would say to check on that double time first before you consider that as well. Um, and let's say the other consideration is you do buy it under your personal name first. You can always go ahead and convert it in, and register it into an LLC, depending upon if there's a mortgage or a loan on that business. So these are other things to consider. Are you buying a business in cash? Are you going to be creating it with 
financing from a third party, which is a lender or some sort of a loan officer as well too. So that's the other thing to consider. But 99% of the time, I would say using any sort of entity to me, doesn't matter which one is going to be the most securest way and least liable way personally. Okay, excellent. Uh, trust. What can you tell us about trust? Trust, I would say, is going to be in very specific circumstances, and it's going to be in very specific types of trusts as well, too. Um, there's something called a land trust. There might be something called a personal trust. There might something be called a different type of trust, which you could be researching on as well, too. Um, it, in very limited circumstances, would I suggest to buy something in a trust, but it depends what the goals are and what the tax ramifications will be for that trust as well, too. So if it makes sense to buy something or gain something in a trust, sure, do it. But I would say to consider it twice and speak with a financial person that knows about taxes because the tax ramifications might be more than you're going to expect it. Um, and what I mean is you might be paying more taxes than expected as well. Okay, thank you. I think there is a, let's see, there is a question. It says, hi, we own some houses and we are looking to create an LLC or another corporation. What is the best one to choose and what is the first step to take? A lot of the times, and I think this is a very common question that happens a lot as well too, um, and it depends what is going to be the goal of purchasing that real estate as well too. Is the goal going to be to hold it and sell it later on for a profit, um, and we call that a flip, or is the goal going to be get that real estate and use it to rent? So, and it also the other consideration, is it going to be residential real estate or commercial real estate as well too. So I guess, let's say, for example, if it's going to be residential real estate, if you're going to be collecting rent, you might want to put it under an LLC if there's going to be two partners or two individuals as members. And it also depends upon the taxation upon that rent and what you can write off for taxes. Or it might be beneficial to buy it under a C corporation, convert it to an S corporation, and then the both partners can go ahead and, and use whatever tax method that they need to do to write off on taxes or to see if the rent is even going to be paid as profits to the, the entities or parties themselves as well, too. So I one thing could be that, okay, what is going to be the goal of the real estate? Is it going to be flipping it or is it going to be using it for rental purposes as well, too? Or is it going to be something that you're going to be using as an office as well? So that might be a consideration. In contrast to a commercial real estate or a commercial property, um, the considerations might be different. You might go ahead and actually use that property for yourself, or you might be having multiple tenants as well, too. Then at that point, it depends what's going to be the goal of that real estate as well, too. Um, you might want to have it registered as to some other type of company that um, might be for the best beneficial tracks, excuse me, beneficial tax structure, depending upon if you're going to be having multiple tenants as well. Okay, excellent. I hope I hope um, he answered your question. And also feel free to reach out to um, attorney Tushar for anything. He's a wealth of information and he can be very helpful. Now we are coming to an end. You've been so, 
so gracious. You gave us a lot of information, a lot of information that I hope people find uh, beneficial. Who can, can contact you? What is your practice uh, focusing on so that people can contact you and where can they find you? Yes, absolutely. Uh, in terms of who can contact me, anyone. So uh, there's no limitation on who can contact me. Um, anyone that has a question, anyone that has a concern can contact me anytime. That's not going to be a problem. Um, they can contact me by phone number. My phone number is 407-895-8707. My personal email address is td at dlgesq.com. And also I'm located in downtown Orlando. So at that point, if anyone has a uh, concern that they need to come in and speak with me about, that's always a possibility as well too. Okay, thank you for that. Now, um, Tushar, you said anyone can uh, contact you, meaning uh, anyone with any legal question or you focus, what is the focus of your practice? Yes, absolutely, thank you. I definitely appreciate that. So for clarification purposes, I do a lot of real estate transactions, whether it's gonna be commercial or residential. I do business closings as well too. Um, in addition, if there's civil litigation, if you're suing somebody or somebody is suing you and you need to defend the lawsuit, that's what I primarily focus on as well, too. Okay, excellent. All right. Thank you so much for being with us. And whether you're watching this now or watching it later, I hope that it has been helpful, at least for whatever uh, you came on for. Until next time, stay safe, stay well, and stay connected and also stay global. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.